Hello, Fight Fans. Welcome back to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode number 233 of TNC for the week of August 22nd. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to have the newly crowned, undisputed, unified welterweight champion of the world, Jessica McCaskill, and her trainer, Rick Ramos, on the show. I'm sure they're going to have a lot to talk about. Literally not even 48 hours after they just uh, upset Cecilia Bracus to win the undisputed welterweight crown of women's boxing. That is one of the biggest wins we've seen in women's boxing in a long, long time. It's definitely one of the biggest wins in women's boxing ever. And I don't know where it ranks, you know, necessarily if it's the top, but it's toward the top. I mean, that is a historic win. So uh, we'll talk about the fight, obviously, because a lot of people are divided about the scorecards. A lot of people out there did not agree with the scorecards. And um, I put a poll out there on Twitter. In fact, let me go to that real quick over here on my computer off screen that you guys can't see. So uh, I asked you guys on Twitter, and you guys know I like to do these polls just to get your thoughts, uh, how you scored the fight between Jessica McCaskill and Cecilia Brekus, uh this Saturday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma at uh, Fight Camp, the return of Matchroom Boxing USA. And so far, 39% of you gave it to McCaskill, 33% Brekus, and 27% a draw. So what does that mean? That means that you guys are pretty much split down the middle. I mean, that's pretty damn close. Um, so almost 300 of you have voted. Now, I've done these polls before. I've done a bunch of them for a bunch of different fights. So we've talked about shitty scorecards. We've talked about bad judges a lot on my show. It's something, you know, that I'm kind of known for, for being the heated reporter, right? I got to tell you, this is the closest poll I've ever seen on a fight like this. So that really, really does show that this truly was a close competitive fight that you can make an, an argument for either fighter or a draw. It really, really does depend on how you saw it. So uh, I, should, I should mention real quick, uh, we were going to have Michael Conlon on the show. Uh, remember last week I talked about that. We had Michael Conlon scheduled to come on today, but uh, we rescheduled him. He's going to come on in early September. And I thought that it'd be good to have Jessica on and Rick on. Uh, I've known Rick for like six years. Actually, he reached out to my fiance and I, my soon-to-be wife and I, uh, like six, I want to say it was 2014. It might have been 2013. We were, we were going to Chicago just, just to get away, just to, you know, just to travel. And uh, Tiffany had actually never been to Chicago. I, I love that town. I, I've been there a bunch of times. And he reached out to us and said, yo, come by the gym. Come, come hang out at the gym. And uh, we did. We went there. We met him, checked out his awesome gym, uh, Body Shop Boxing. It's kind of like by, um, by Chinatown. Those of you in Chicago know that area. It's kind of close to Chinatown there, south of downtown. And uh, we got to know him, and we've kept in touch ever since. And so he's been working with Jessica for years. Jessica has a great story, a really, really great story. And I met Jessica in person for the first time last fall. I think it was October for that Usyk Witherspoon card up there in Chicago at the uh, Wintrust Arena. And, of course, remember, that was the night, uh, tragically, that Patrick Day suffered injuries that ultimately cost him his life. I mean, it was just one of those trips I'll never forget. But one of the true bright spots of that trip was getting to meet Jessica in, in person. I interviewed her for, for Ring. That, that interview is on Ring Digital's uh, channel from last year. And she just seemed like 
just crazy intelligent, crazy cool, humble person. It was just impossible not to be a fan of hers and not to root for her after that. And of course, not saying I do. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, impartial when I watch fights. I'm not rooting for any particular fighter. I just mean as a human being. And if, I, Cecilia Brekus, anytime I've, I've been around her, she is a super humble, awesome human being too. Both of these ladies, Jessica McCaskill and Cecilia Brekus, uh, just beautiful ladies, number one. You know, easy on the eyes. They're beautiful women. But they can fight their butts off in different ways, in very, very different ways, two very different styles, two very awesome stories, just two good, wonderful human beings. And it doesn't matter that they're females. You guys know my, my stance on women's boxing. Um, if the girls can fight, I really don't give a damn. To me, there's really no difference. Now, I'm not saying that to be Mr. Super Woke. I'm not saying that I'm the biggest female boxing ambassador or fan in the world. But I will tell you, some of you guys need to like get with the program because female boxing, women's boxing is growing and there are there's more and more talent coming up the ranks. And I've talked about this very, very fairly as it uh, relates to some of the heavier divisions. When you go to middleweight and heavier um, in, in female boxing, there's not a lot of talent. Remember, I, I talked about some of the divisions that um, Clarissa Shields is fighting. I mean, there's just a few dozen ranked fighters globally in some of those heavier divisions. But as you go down in weight and you get down to like lightweight, welterweight, featherweight, there's a lot of talent. Flyweight, traditionally that's more where the talent was with, with women's boxing. But I do think that in the coming years, you see it. There's a push. It's coming. There are going to be more and more uh, female fighters coming up the ranks, and that talent pool is going to widen. And it wouldn't surprise me over the next five to ten years uh, if you see some of these divisions where <clears> – <throat> There are 100-plus ranked fighters in the division instead of like 30 or 40. And you start to see good contenders, multiple contenders in the same division. So anyway, the reason why I'm talking about this fight, obviously we're going to have Jessica and Rick on here in a minute. But um, I've, I've followed her career. I've followed Jessica, and I've watched. One of the things I love about Jessica, right, she's now 9-2. Came to boxing in her mid-20s. She's 35 years old. So she's only been boxing for around 10 years. I think she started uh, in the St. Louis area fighting some, some amateurs and then quickly moved to Chicago, for, I think, for a job after that. She worked like a, a real job, a day job, and then did boxing on the side like most fighters actually do. And by the way, most fight media. Uh, and has built herself up. I think she won some – I think it's the St. Louis Golden Gloves, Chicago Golden Gloves, um, and then went pro. Only 11 fights in, and the majority of her fights have been for title fights, which I think is awesome. And she's taken risks. You know, she lost, I want to say, what was it? Her, oh, what fight was it? I want to say it was her second fight, her third pro fight. She lost by split decision. Uh, keeps going, getting, learning on the job, getting better. And I think it was her seventh fight, maybe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I want to say it was her seventh pro fight. She goes over to the UK to fight Katie Taylor when there's not necessarily a line of girls, you know, eager to fight Katie Taylor. So I thought that was awesome. I thought um, her being willing to do that and take that risk and Rick Ramos, her trainer, believing in her enough to take that risk and her whole management, her whole, whole team believing in her enough to do that. That was at 135. OK, uh, she lost against uh, Taylor, but it was it was competitive. She, she learned on the job that night. Then moves up to 140, unifies titles. I, I was there in Chicago to see one of those fights. 
where um, I believe she unified titles at 140. And now this was at 147. And for those of you who watched the fight and you saw Brekus and McCasco fight, the size difference was evident right away. The experience difference, the size difference, that was evident right away. So I just give them props. I mean, nine and two, uh, unified title holder now, undisputed champion of a division. I got to say, guys, don't, don't kill me because you're not going to like what I'm about to say. This looks like an MMA record. This looks like a record you see over at UFC where you lose a couple coming up the ranks, but you learn on the job, and eventually you break through and win a title and win several titles, actually. Uh, so props to her. Props to both of those guys. We'll talk to them in a second. So real quick, um, oh, we got a Super Chat pledge from Deed3440. Thank you so much, sir. He says, I predict White will KO TKO Povetkin round nine. You know, that sounds about right. I think, uh, honestly, dude, that's pretty much how most of uh, the, the experts, if you will, uh, have that fight, that White's probably going to win by late TKO. I think it all comes down to what Dillian White shows up. I'm going to talk about that fight, obviously, later. You know, I'll preview it. But I was just looking at the weights. D Dillian White's weight since that loss to AJ in 2015 over the last five years have ranged from 245 to 271. Povetkins have stayed right in the 220s, despite both of these guys have a history of testing kind of hot, okay? I, I'm not going to dwell on that. We're just going to enjoy the fight. But both of these guys have had issues with, uh, you know, substances that aren't necessarily legal being in their systems. However, Povetkin's weight has kind of stayed consistent, even though he's the older guy. And White, his weight has spanned, what, more than what, almost 30 pounds. So who's going to show up? The Dillian White that's in the 240s, maybe 250s, or the 275 or 271-pound fat ass we saw in his last fight? That, my friend, will tell you how this fight's going to go. Because let me tell you, if he weighs 268, 269, and Povetkin's 223, I don't know, dude. The old man might surprise us. But, yes, I will get into that fight in detail later on. Let me go back to Tulsa, Oklahoma here, okay? I want to just preview this before Jessica and Rick uh, call in. But, um, okay, so Brekus. I should say this was a majority decision, not a, a unanimous decision. Um, one judge, Karen Holderfield, had it even, 95-95. Gerald Ritter had it 97-94, which means he had a round even in there somewhere. And David Sutherland had it 97-93. I scored it 96-94 for McCaskill. There were a lot of people out there that didn't like the scorecards. And the immediate reaction I saw on Twitter, this was immediately after the fight in like a little bit Sunday morning, was, man, these are inexperienced judges. Why are they scoring a title fight? This is what you get when you have inexperienced judges. But over the last 24 hours, I've seen opinions change. And I've seen more people on boxing Twitter and even some of the podcasts out there uh, saying that they had it for McCaskill. And they're, they're, they're good with the scorecards. So... It is split. For those of you who are just getting on, I did a poll on Twitter. About 300 of you voted. Just under 40% of you said McCaskill won. About 34% of you almost said Brekus won. The rest of you had it a draw. So it's pretty split. It's pretty split. And as I mentioned at the opening of the show, I'll repeat it again. I've done these polls for a bunch of different fights, okay? And usually it's like 80-20, 90-10, there's usually like this unanimous block of fans and media that see it one way for one fighter. That's not the case with this fight. 
And that's what I find most interesting about it and what I want to talk to you guys about when you start calling in later on after we have our guests on. You know, how did you score it? And how who do you reward these rounds to, particularly in women's boxing where you got two-minute rounds? Do you give it to the aggressor, the, the woman who's put you know, pressing the action and making the fight? Or do you award the round to the stylist? In this fight, Obviously, Breckhus was the experienced, slicker boxer. She was the stylist in there. And she technically, according to CompuBox, landed one more punch. But let me tell you something. McCaskill, yes, her style isn't as pretty, if you will, as aesthetically pleasing as Breckhus. However, she was coming forward the entire fight. She threw more than, let's see, 230 more punches. She landed 22 body shots to only four for Breckhus. And I got to say... The biggest uh, jaw-dropping kind of punches that were landed in the fight, the punches that snapped someone's head back, they weren't landed by Brekus. They were landed by McCaskill. She landed the bigger punches, and she was the smaller girl in there. Uh, she did land more power punches. So, um, yeah, I, I just – I don't know, guys. You know, some of the reaction I saw on Twitter I thought was a little unfair, and people talking about these inexperienced judges. Meanwhile – in Connecticut, we had three very experienced judges completely ass-rape Jackson Marinez, okay? I think that's why some of you that were a little up in arms about the scorecards in Tulsa, which that was a close competitive fight, dude. When some of you saw the replay or whatever of the, the fights in Connecticut and you saw what happened between Rolando Romero and Jackson Marinez, which I'll talk more about later, that, my friends, that was an easy fight to score. And that was a freaking robbery. And that was all political because you knew who the house guy was. Romero's a Mayweather guy. And Mayweather PBC, do the math, okay? So we'll talk more about that in a second. I think our guests are on the line. Let me jump over here to the phones. Let's see here. All right. Uh, Rick, is this Rick and Jessica on the line here? Yes, it is. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> What's up, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. So you could hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, I can never tell because I'm an idiot with technology. So <laughs> if you guys could hear me, then we're good. Uh, well, so are you calling me from Chicago or are you guys still in Tulsa right now? No, we're back home. We came home yesterday. Awesome. We're in the gym. <laughs> yeah. No shit. I figured you guys would be back in the gym. That was going to be my next question. So you guys went right back to the gym today? Yeah, I, I'm back at work today, like my full-time job, and I work from the gym, so I just figured I would be here after the girls get done with their strength and conditioning in the morning, and, you know, they're there to support me when my time is on, and hopefully we can get, you know, like Summerlin, 147, 2-0, we can get her a fight, so now I'm here supporting her, um, so hopefully we can get her something, but, you know, it's just, it's no days off, you know, and we take that very literal here. Yeah, Jessica, I think that you, and also Rick, you as well, I think you guys are, are doing something that is it's bigger than just the two of you, because I see you. You talked about Summer Lynn. I was there last fall for her pro debut. I think her pro debut is on that Usyk Witherspoon card that you fought on. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She fought a pretty tough opponent, too. It was like a three time national champion. The girl was like 33 years old and Summer was only like a month into being 18. So it was kind of a hard, hard fight right out of the gate. Well, that's what I love about you guys. You, you take risks, you take tough fights, and you learn on the job. And, Rick, you're kind of becoming known as the female boxer trainer. 
And something tells me you got no problem with that. Like, like you're proud of that because you seem to be bringing on more women into the gym. And Jessica, I think you're an amazing role model for these women. Uh, you live it, breathe it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 a year. And I think you guys are building something there in Chicago. I really, really do. There really wasn't a well, question, but <laughs> I just, uh, I <laughs> no, just, we, anyway. We, we appreciate we appreciate that. And, you know, I just want to deal with, with the best fighters. I just want to deal with people who want to win, you know. And if you want to win, hit me up. If you don't, just, you know, stay where you're at. That says it all, man. I mean, I want to go back to uh, Jessica. I think Was it your second pro fight that you lost by split decision? I can't remember which one. Uh, was it the second or third? I think it was third? the, maybe the, I think it was uh it was it was one of the two i can't remember okay yeah i just uh, know it was early on in your career um yeah you've always had to basically like work a full-time job do boxing on the side you know having that loss earlier earlier in your career how have you kept, stayed motivated continued to believe in yourself and continue to push forward i mean it's all about how you handle things mentally and the way that rick brought that to me was you know hey it's it's good to lose now and to kind of show the people what kind of a person you are even in the midst of a loss and we still had a lot of people that backed us and that were behind us and supporting us and still seeing us working and you know so you can only really go up from there and that was what we did yeah then so you guys go over to the uk to fight katie taylor now and you guys were calling her out i remember the milk carton tweets and all those posts and stuff like that um what what did you see in katie taylor that made you want to go after her when so many other people in your position especially you rick as the trainer would say no 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 no, we don't want none of that not yet let's wait well well, i saw an opportunity it wasn't really about katie it was really about an opportunity i'm like yo if we can go there you know make it rough on her beat her up throw her down after the bell like punch her after the bell like anything to make it rugged like street fight I said, yo, we can aggravate her. We can get points deducted. We can pull out a draw. Like, I just saw a draw because I know how tough Jessica is. I just saw an opportunity. And then, you know, us losing that fight was the best thing for female boxing because if we would have beat her so early in her career, Eddie would have pulled the plug on female boxing. Eddie was the one who put mega money into female boxing. You know what I mean? So yeah. Jessica deserves a lot of credit. When nobody wanted to take that fight, we jumped on it. It was more of an opportunity play. Um, to get in the big leagues than it was anything else, and it just happened to work out. We played it right, I think. No, I, I completely agree. You guys were competitive in that fight. You came up short, but you were more competitive than I think people expected because so many people had never heard of you, Jessica. And you went over there and did so well, and you you have that kind of rough style. You like to make it rough. I saw that you were doing that against Cecilia uh, Saturday in Tulsa. Exactly. And you, I saw I, – I don't know. Did you guys see this right away in that fight? In the first, second, third round, Cecilia was putting her arms up on the ropes, and Abel was grabbing them and pulling them off real quick, like, hey, don't do that shit. But then later on in the fight, he was kind of letting her do it because he realized how tired she was. Did you guys see that? Um, I, to be honest with you, I saw we saw signs early. Like, we saw, like, at the, first of all, the humidity down there, down there is, is thick. You Dude, know, it's, it's no thick. And if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not, if, you're, if you're from fucking Norway. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's tough to deal with if you're not from, you know, an area where the humidity stick. So I'm like, man, this, this humidity could, Jessica's from St. Louis, I'm from Chicago, the humidity stick here, 
So I figured, you know what, that could be like a sign that like it might not work. She's been in isolation for a while, and we're dealing with no crowd, and we're all on quarantine, so it wasn't like we were able to walk around and do media and stuff like that. So I figured that might play all play a role. And she's not getting treated any special than anybody else because, like I said, we were all in quarantine. Nobody was allowed to leave the rooms. There was no crowd. There was no media. Everything was online. So I felt like Jess and I were doing all the, the interviews. You know what I mean? So we saw – and Jessica, you know, had noticed stuff, um, her breathing and stuff like that at the weigh-in, and she had mentioned it to me. And so we were just kind of, like, keeping our eyes open. Yeah, I saw – I noticed right away that she was breathing kind of heavy. And she seemed to not really wake up until like the sixth or seventh round. I honestly think she was surprised by the early work rate. And Jessica, I saw you go into the body. I wanted to ask about that. Was that part of your strategy and then just to kind of get rough and push her forward? Yeah, the main plan was to see what she was going to come with the first minute of the first round. And, you know, I thought she was going to move. I thought she was going to jab a lot. And once I realized, like, she's coming forward, just giving herself to me, that's when it was like, okay, let's turn this on. And then we never looked back. Um, going to the body, we like to go up and down. And um, it, it was a little difficult to kind of find my placement where I wanted it, but I threw it anyway. Sometimes you have to throw the punch, and if you don't see it, it's, it might still be there. So I was listening to my corner, of course, with there being no fans there, no crowd. I mean, you can always hear Rick, but yeah, I could hear him a little, a yeah. little more um, <laughs> clearer this time. But you know, everything that he said, I tried to do and tried to do it right away. Um, that's how we train here, and that's how we, we do our sparring. So just paying attention and listening, those were the, the key points. Yeah, and I saw you, like early on, you were dipping your head to the right. Then you started in the middle, later on started fainting with that little head dip to the right, then shooting a right hand over the top. You caught her a few times with shots like that. Did you start to just see different openings as you were in there with her, you know, the more rounds that progressed? Some of those things we very, very intentionally practiced. Okay. Uh, we practiced the feints. We practiced um, going up and down. We knew that she jabbed off of her hips. Um, so she would she would have both of her hands up, and then she would put her left hand down to her hip. And she just threw less jabs than we thought. I was ready to shoot over that jab, and sometimes she just never even threw it at all. Um, some of the other things were, were more about me paying attention because I was able to um, kind of throw a right hand and then swing over. So we're, we're, like, perpendicular to each other. And, you know, she might have me hemmed up on my right side, but my left hand is there for left hooks all day. Or if she had me on my left side, I was throwing them up the middle with my right hand, pushing that head back with those uppercuts, and we practiced yeah. that. Yeah, I saw that a bunch. Yeah, I saw, uh, you know, I think that she pulled back on the jab because you were shooting those overhand rights, and you, you caught her a couple times early, and she was like, oh, shit, I don't know about this. I just saw her thinking a lot early on, and I've never seen Cecilia think that much, particularly in the first half of a fight. She usually comes right out and kind of establishes her style. So right away, it, this just looked different, you know, and I think you guys had a great game plan. I didn't even think about the humidity, but as a guy who moved from L.A., to uh, Atlanta two years ago, let me tell you, holy fuck, it's humid down here. So it does play a role. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk yeah. business. Um, so do you guys, I don't know if you've heard anything yet. Obviously, it hasn't even been 48 hours. If Breckhus wants a rematch, would you guys go directly into that, or do you have a different plan going forward for your next couple fights? I think, you know, I'll put my manager hat on for a second. I, if I was uh, Cecilia or Cecilia's people, 
I think the better play is to wait. Maybe take some step aside money and and wait for the you know wait for this weekend. I assume Katie will win, um, and then Katie Jessica fight. I think if I'm Cecilia, I take step aside money and let Jessica and Katie fight. Now you ask why? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> but I I think I think it's better for Cecilia because if Jessica if she takes rematch and loses to Jessica again, that Katie Taylor fight is dramatically less appealing. But if she waits. And if we beat Jess, if we beat Katie, then she can make more money on a rematch. That you know, I just think it's better. It's a better play for her because then she she gets herself. Let's say she let's say uh, Katie wins, she fights Jessica. Let's say Jessica wins, then she can fight uh, Jessica and win win or lose, she can fight Katie afterwards, right? But if she Jessica beats her again, I don't think Katie or Eddie Hearn are interested in a fight if she got two losses in a row. I don't see that, but. You know, maybe you do, maybe somebody else does, but as, on a business side of things, I don't see that for Cecilia. I think that's, I think she waits to see who wins um, the little tournament piece, you know what I mean? And then decide if she wants to rematch. So I think that's a better play. That's okay, but you just put on your manager cap for that side. What do you guys want to do, Rick? <laughs> what, I mean, if you had it your way, what do you want to do? I want to fight Katie. I want to fight okay. Katie because I think it makes financial sense for, for us, for Katie, and for Cecilia. I think it's it makes every I think think about it. If Katie wins by knockout, or let's just say Katie wins clean this time around, that we have the momentum with uh, you know what we've been doing. Katie has a little bit momentum because she had just put um, Delphine to bed, and I just think that's the momentum fight. There was everybody has been talking about a rematch between us and Katie. Uh, we popped some you know air out of the balloon as far as Cecilia and Katie. I mean the momentum is ours, and I think we should have a right to. To, to have our say, and I think that that should be the fight that's next. I, I agree. I mean, I tend to agree. I think that, obviously, the juice is more with, with Katie right now. She, she's hot. She's she's popular in the U.K. Uh, Cecilia was kind of, you know, I don't want to say on the downslide, but she wasn't uh, where she once was in, in terms of her popularity and everything else. Let, let me ask you guys this. The first fight between Taylor and Pursun, how did you score that? How did you see it? Okay, so this is the honest to God truth. I think we won three rounds, right? Hold on. Oh wait, oh, with the pursuit. Yeah, one? yeah, the one, the the fight between. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you for going there, Rick. But no, the the first no. fight between Taylor and Pursuit. How did you see that fight? Did you think I, that it was a gift for Katie Taylor? Well, Chess and I were there for that fight. And I had a chance to rewatch it. I watched, I saw, so we saw it live, and then we saw it on TV. Um, yeah, I would say Katie lost by like two and a half rounds. That's how I had it. Wow. Okay. But you think she's going to win the rematch? Yeah, I just, I think she's going to pull on Anthony Joshua. She's going to be okay. more disciplined. Just do what she's good at in boxing, and don't fight her. That's what you know. That's how Anthony Joshua got in trouble. That's how Katie got in trouble. And usually, with those Olympians, they they go back to what they know and they just box. Okay, so assuming Taylor beats Pearson this weekend, what do you think is the plan here? So if you if you fight Katie Taylor, and I agree with you, that rematch would be really really big. But here's the question: She's at what uh, one thirty five? I think this rematch with Pearson is one thirty five. She's had one fight at one forty. You guys have been at one forty. This your last fight was at one forty seven. So where the hell would that fight take place? Uh, since we have all the belts, and since Jessica's a uh you know, a bigger girl, I say 147, and they could pay $100,000 a pound if they want us to go lower. 
Jessica, how do you feel at 47? I, you've only had one fight at 47, but how do you feel at 47 versus 40? The, the fight was contracted for 145, um, but I feel comfortable at any weight. I mean, this isn't something that we do last minute or that we take lightly. And so our training, um, we start start getting the weight correct uh, way before the fight actually happens. So even at 135, I felt great, and I felt a lot more powerful than the other 135s. And same thing with 140. I'm, I tend to be the stronger girl out of, um, the combination of the two that doesn't matter what weight we're at. Okay. What, what can you do differently in the second fight with Taylor? I think the, with, with it being at a heavier weight, the power will just be overwhelming. Um, that was many fights ago, many world titles ago. And I think there's so much more experience that you learn just from having a fight with somebody on that level. Um, I'm prepared to move as she wants to move, um, prepared to put the, the punch output the same level that I was with Cecilia and just be dramatically more active. Um, I think I just have a wiser um, just boxing IQ now. And before, you know, I was, I was making do with what I had and didn't do bad. So I just think it's everything, the answer is up on everything. Would you want to go back over to the UK or would you demand that fight be here? And do you think you could get it in Chicago? Uh, I don't care if it's in Chicago or not. I'd rather have it in the U.S. However, if you can get 100,000 people in, in Wibley, then I think, you know, money will be right. The money will be there. And, you know, to fight in front of 100,000 people is is uh, historic. So, like, either 100,000 people in the U.K. or it has to stay in the U.S. Okay. And, you know, what about – we're talking about the business of boxing here. Oftentimes when you see – a champion, a long-reigning champion of all the titles, and they lose, all the belts get broken up. I mean, we saw that when Klitschko was defeated by Fury. All the titles got busted up, right, in the heavyweight division a few years mm -hmm. ago. If you guys have mandatory obligations, are you going to take care of those first, or is your preference to just go right into that rematch with Taylor, if you could? Uh, I, would, I would want the Taylor rematch. I think I, you know, I have to have my lawyers and Eddie look at the uh, – you know, the, the mandatories and everything, look over everything. Um, but other than that, I mean, I would, we'd want Katie rematch, you know, and preferably the higher in weight, the better. Yeah. Cause you got like 50 freaking belts now. I mean, Jessica, how do you even hold all that shit up? Those belts are heavy, man. I've held those belts. Yeah. They're pretty heavy. Uh, but well, you're going to have like a hundred mandatories pretty soon. What's to say, wh yeah. why couldn't you, let me just ask this in theory, if you had a mandatory, why couldn't you do that in December, January, something like that in Chicago? Well, here's the thing, you know, if if Katie if Katie stops Delphine in three, then we have to do the Katie Jessica rematch this year. See what I'm saying? But if it, if it's a war and it's you know messy and and Katie is like hurt or God forbid or injured, then it you know then we have to wait six seven months. Then it becomes like okay, well let's see what. Let's see what we do. You know, I, I have two other fighters at 147 pounds, you know, Summer Lynn's young, and I have uh, Alejandra Ayala. She's in uh, Tijuana. So I have uh, two fighters at 147 pounds. So if we were to vacate belts, I would, you know, do my best to, to make sure that, you know, my girls get title shots as well. You know, so I have three fighters at 147. Um, I, know other, I know all the female fighters in every weight class. So I know – what we can do and what we can't do. So it would be just more of a, 
you know, a, a situation to where other people get opportunities. And we're not against opportunities. You know, I don't – the kid rematch could be for six belts or, or one belt. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. I think the – I think that the, we want the kid rematch. You know, I'd like to offer them um, something other than just a rematch. You know, if we can offer – all the belts, that's obviously more money and better, you know, it's more appealing to Katie, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out this weekend. She's got a tough fight in front of her, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I think that's the right approach. I mean, I think, look, everyone that's going to listen to this interview is going to be nodding their head, hell yeah, at that part, because people really don't give a shit about the belts. Jessica, I know, the fi- I know fighters do. Fighters love belts, but it's really about who you <laughs> fight. And if the sanctioning organizations take two or three of your belts away, but you end up fighting Katie Taylor again in front of a huge crowd, you know, that's awesome. Uh, that's the right thing for the sport. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, and you know, I, again, I don't have no problem giving belts out and giving opportunities out. I mean, you know, it, it's just a matter of who, when, it's timing is everything, right? So, right. you know, it's Especially now in the world of COVID where we just don't know what the hell is going to happen. We don't know when we're going to have fans back at fights. We just don't know. One thing I want to ask you guys about, every time I talk to a female fighter, I ask this. What do you think about the two-minute rounds, uh, 10-round championship fights? I saw a lot of people on Twitter that didn't like the decision saying that. And and even the the zone broadcasters, Sergio Mora particularly, kept saying over and over, the two-minute rounds are hard to score. The two-minute rounds are hard to score. Do you guys like the two-minute rounds? Uh, For me, it was – I could score it whether it was one-minute round or a three-minute round. It doesn't make a difference to me, but I always want to ask the fighter, would you prefer three-minute rounds or are you cool with two-minute rounds? We train on three-minute rounds, 30-second rest, so if that ever comes to fruition, we'll be ready for it. But I definitely have to stand behind um, the logic that brings a situation where – you know, you get three-minute rounds and you have girls that aren't prepared for that, and then you're stretching out, you know, this time period, either either more rounds or longer rounds, and then people get hurt, and then people are on 30-day, 60-day suspensions, and then the, the pool of female boxing that's already uh, rather small gets smaller because everybody's on suspension. Who are you going to fight? So it could be drastic for the sport in general. Um, to move there if the health professionals are not saying that we're ready for it. But when the time comes, we are prepared for it, and that is how we train. Yeah, I tell you, everybody I talk to, that's pretty much the answer that they give. It seems like you guys are ready to go. It's just it really is up to the sanctioning organizations and the powers that be to get involved. Um, I saw right. – oh, go ahead, go ahead. A little, a little, sorry about that. A little side note. Just like let's use my fighter, Summerlin. She's – 147 pounds and she's ranked uh she has two fights she's two and oh right you know her and it's right. she's ranked like number three in the u.s that just tells you the depth is so little right. in, in female boxing right so if there's only eight girls at 147 if girls are starting to get knocked out because we go to three minute rounds it's gonna girls are complaining they don't fight enough now you do that they're gonna be fighting once every two years it doesn't even make sense we're just too soon it's too soon you know Without no Olympics, that definitely slows things up even more. So we just got to be careful about the timing of when we do the three-minute rounds, right? I mean, to be honest with you, three-minute rounds benefits us, all my fighters. So I'm LeBron. Yeah, it benefits your style, big, definitely. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, but it doesn't benefit the long-term uh, progress of the, of the female side. Not yet. Yeah, th- that's a really, really great point, Rick. I didn't think about it that way, but you guys are both right. I, I do think the timing – 
is uh, is an aspect there. And then I talked about at the beginning of the show with with, with female boxing that uh, the 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 depth of talent just is not there. But I do think it's getting better. And I think what you guys are doing there in Chicago, it wouldn't surprise me if we see four, five, six, seven, eight female champions come out of that air er- uh, that area over the next ten years. I think you guys are really building something there. But um, you guys got to get more active on Twitter. Jessica, I know. I'm looking so at I, your Twitter I, account. You just, just you got to tweet my- more. <laughs> you guys got to tweet more. I know, I know. I will, I will. But I'm going to, nobody wants to hear my truth. I tell the truth and everyone gets all upset. Trust so gotta- me, people want to hear it, Rick. I, you get shit for it. Okay, I get shit all the time. But you, dude, <laughs> we can't be the only ones. Okay, yeah. But uh, uh, I want true. you guys to give your Twitter uh, accounts uh, right now so people can follow you. Um, mine is, uh, Jessica McCaskill, I believe. I, I, I should be Jessica McCaskill everywhere. Uh, and mine is, uh, Rick Ramos Boxing on every, every social media platform. So just search Rick Ramos Boxing or search Jessica McCaskill. That's two C's in that last name, McCaskill. Yep. And, um, it's two S's in the first name. I've seen it with one S and two C's, <laughs> but it's two S's, one C. But, yeah, you guys, um, honestly, you guys should have a lot more followers, man. And just um, next time we're up in Chicago, we'll come check out the gym. Um, this time I'll bring my gear so I can work out in there because you guys thought I was front yeah. this time when I said yeah. I didn't have my gear. And you're like, yeah, 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 we've heard that shit yeah. before. We'll do it. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it was awesome. We'll definitely do it again soon when you guys get uh, something lined up whether it's a rematch with Taylor or whatever it is. Before that, we'll get you guys on to preview the, the fight and everything, okay? Yeah, for sure. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much for everything. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Have a good one. You Me too. too. Thank you. All right, there they go. There they go. Um, yeah, I, I really, really think that they're building something there. And I think that when you think of Chicago, you know, historically there were some really, really great fighters there. And then it kind of really fell off. and It just hasn't been known as a place. Uh, it hasn't been known as a boxing town in recent years. And that doesn't make sense, man. I mean, I think of Chicago, I think, man, there's, there's a lot of fighters out there. there. There have been a few fighters. I think David Diaz in recent years, there's been a few fighters. But it would be very, very interesting if Chicago became maybe like the quasi-headquarters of female boxing in America. If a lot of the, the female fighters matriculate there, particularly if they're around the welterweight, you know, division limit and want to train there because as Rick said, you know, he's got Jessica, the champ, but he's got a couple young girls training with her every day. And I think that Jessica, she's a gym rat. She loves being in the gym. It's rubbing off on those other girls. And you're going to see a lot of successful women uh, fighting out of Chicago in the next few years. So a super chat pledge from uh, soapboxing podcast. Thank you so much for the super chat. He says, uh, I had it 5-4, one even for Brekus, zero issue with the result. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Close fight. A lot of people had it very, very close. But uh, I'm not at all mad about the result. The one thing I will say, two of the scores were a bit wide. I thought that, again, I scored it 96-94 for, for Jessica. And a couple guys had it. Uh, they gave her seven rounds. So that felt a little wide. But um, I, I went over the punch numbers, I think, right, guys? Uh, Brekus landed 85 punches, McCaskill 84, but she threw 230 more. And then one thing CompuBox doesn't credit fighters for enough is when you're throwing, when you're almost doubling your opponent in terms of the output, it sometimes can limit their offense 
and push them back. And when you saw a shorter girl, smaller girl pushing back a bigger, taller girl, uh, the optics of that, I think, sways judges. So when you look at the CompuBox, CompuBox stats and you're like, well, Recruits landed one more punch than McCaskill. These punch numbers, you know, in terms of punches landed, are very, very close. In terms of overall punches landed, I think Brekus, I think there was like five rounds where she landed more. There was maybe three where uh, where McCaskill landed more, and there was two that were even. So, like, if you're just looking at CompuBox, you're thinking, man, you know, I don't know about these scorecards. I, you know, I think Cecilia might have won this fight. Uh, Brekus might have won this fight. But if you, what you don't think about is the punches that don't land. And I know it's about scoring blows. I get it, guys. That's how you score fights. But those of you who have sparred before or if you've seen a lot of amateur fights, you see this a lot, you know what I'm talking about. If you have one fighter that's really, really busy and, and, and being super aggressive and throwing a lot, that sometimes throws off the timing and rhythm and offense of the other fighter. And that's what we saw in this fight. We saw it took really until the sixth or seventh round for Brett Coos to kind of wake up and get into a rhythm. It took her a long time to adjust to what McCaskill's doing. And I got to tell you, if they had a rematch, I actually think McCaskill would probably do better in the rematch. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll find out there was something going on with Brett Coos, a health issue or something. I don't know. But based on what I saw, I actually think we'd see uh, McCaskill do better in the rematch. I don't know. Anyway. Super close fight. Could have went either way. Let's talk about the rest of that card real quick. Actually, you know what? Let's back up real quick and get to some news and notes. By the way, guys, if you want to get on the phones and talk about some of this stuff, you know the numbers, okay? But I want to talk real quick, uh, just a, a couple news items. Lomachenko, Lopez, it's official. They are going to fight. Uh, we still don't have an exact date. It's not going to be October 3rd. It's going to be later in the month, either October, I think, 17th, possibly October 24th. But you're going to get it in October, just like I've been telling you for weeks. Remember all the fear porn? Remember everybody on Twitter and everybody on all the sites, some of the sites that make you pay for to read news, that were saying, oh, this fight's dead. Ain't going to happen, right? All the fear porn to get you click, click, click. Please click. Please subscribe. Give me that revenue. And what happens? In the end, the fight comes off. So I, I never... Now, look, there was a split second, <laughs> a split second where I really did. I was concerned. I was like, oh, shit, this don't look good because there really was at one point a standstill, if you will, in the negotiations. It did hit a halt. However, the fight was never dead, never dead. Not once was it dead. And all the reports that the fight was dead, somehow it became Lomachenko's fault. I don't know why this guy gets so much hate, but boxing Twitter and a lot of the YouTubers and stuff, they just do not like this dude. And somehow it became his fault. And there's a lot of hate for Bob Arum too. It became his fault. But Lomach seemed to get the brunt of it. In the end, the fight comes off. And here's the best part. It's on regular ESPN, which is where that fight belongs, right? I talked about... PBC on Showtime schedule. It's a strong schedule, you know, and, and that Charlo doubleheader card, that's a damn good card. And I've talked about it before that it might be the best PBC card top to bottom ever. It's certainly in the discussion. It's at least in the top two or three best card PBC has ever put out. It's in the top two or three for sure. However, it's on pay-per-view. And so is Tank Davis versus uh, Leo Santa Cruz, a fight nobody wanted. 
and Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia, another fight nobody wanted. Those are two fights you're kind of being force-fed that really don't do anything for the fighters except get them paid and build resumes a little bit, but they don't belong on pay-per-view. That's what you're going to get. Meanwhile, this fight between Lomachenko and Lopez, I want to put this in pop proper perspective. So if you go to uh, ringtv.com and you look at our ratings, I personally believe we have the best ratings in the business. Not that I agree with 100% of them, but I think top to bottom, week after week, month after month, we have the best ratings of any publication in the sport right now. Our champion right now at Lightweight is Lomachenko. Our number one contender is Teofimo Lopez. This is the number one versus number two lightweights in the world. This is to consolidate the lightweight division. I don't give a shit what the WBC says with Devin Haney in his email title. There is no knock on Devin Haney. He is a damn good prospect that is going to win titles in multiple divisions, real titles. But his title at lightweight isn't worth the shit I took this morning with my coffee. It's just not. This is Lomachenko Lopez, number one versus number two. This is a big fight to consolidate the lightweight division. That is one of the historic, you know, original eight divisions in the sport. The lightweight champion matters. And you're going to get this on regular ESPN, a sports network. Meanwhile, other platforms are charging you a premium to watch fights that you did not ask for. This fight, many of you asked for. Many of you have uh, been excited for this fight because it's been talked about for over a year now. And Teofimo Lopez with his performance against Richard Comey to win a title, a legitimate title, not a paper email title, uh, that got people more excited. So I love this. And props to all parties, Lomachenko, Lopez, uh, top rank, but also ESPN for stepping up and putting this thing on regular network TV. And I get it. It's not Fox or ABC, but regular network cable. How about that? The thing is, guys, there's so little sports right now. We don't know what's going to happen with college football. We don't know what's going to happen with the NFL. Uh, Major League Baseball will continue, but it will be over pretty much by October. Um, just so There's so much that's up in the air with sports, right? So there are unprecedented opportunities right now for boxing. Unprecedented. <clears throat> And it is up to the parties involved, the powers that be, to take advantage of those opportunities. It sucks that you guys are going to get, what, three, four pay-per-views within a few months. But you, you, should, you should watch this fight. And, and it's like, I don't work with Top Rank. I don't work with ESPN. Those guys don't like me very much because of how much I trolled them over the Tyson Fury lineal thing for a couple years. But the truth is, this was, a, this was the right move to make, and they all deserve credit for putting this together. And for the life of me, I just don't understand why the purse split bros and the contract bros and the he ducking who bros all disappeared as soon as this fight came together. It's so funny the way that always works. Agendas always win out over logic. Okay, also, Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell, that fight's going to happen as well. Uh, a deal has been reached in principle, whatever the hell that means. It means the deal isn't official yet, but it's damn close. They're at the goal line, if to use an American football reference. They just got to hand it to the running back and plow it into the end zone, and then you're going to get that fight. That's another fight I like a lot, a lot, and that's going to be on the zone. Damn good fight. Uh, and then let's see. Oh, some ratings info for the ratings bros out there. Uh, James 
versus Delorme, that card on uh, Showtime. I'm sorry, that was on Fox. On Fox, yes. Uh, James versus Delorme on Fox averaged just over 1 million viewers. Now, I thought this was interesting. Just over 1 million viewers averaged for this, uh, for this fight card. Fox is in like 120 million homes in America. So not even 1% of people with a TV watch this. The last PBC on Fox card was in March. That was Hellenius versus Kavnachi. That averaged 1.7 million viewers. Now, this is just part of an overall trend we're seeing in boxing across all platforms. I've been talking about this for the last few weeks as other shows have come back. Other platforms have started programming again. Everyone, when, when Top Rank first came out, and again, I'm going to sound like I'm kissing Top Rank's ass on this show, and I, I promise you I'm not. But when that bubble series came out and the ratings were crap, people were saying it's because the fights are bad. And there were a lot of mismatches on, on that, that series. But they were also saying it's because nobody knows the names. These aren't household names. These aren't boxing stars. Once Lomachenko comes back, once Terrence Crawford comes back, the ratings will go up. Now, we'll find out. We'll find out later this year. But I don't know if that's the only thing going on, guys, because Hellenius and Kovnachi, they're, they're not household names. And when they fought, it averaged 1.7 million viewers. James and Delorme, yes, they're not household names. I get it. But James is American. He is American, right? Minneapolis. He's from Minneapolis. So you got an American fighting, a welterweight, Loaded welterweight division, all sorts of implications for you know future fights with welterweight stars, and that does almost you know fifty percent less. It's about forty percent less than what two guy, one guy from uh, two guys from Europe did. And I get it, they're heavyweights, but Kavnachi, maybe it is. I see. Yeah, you know what? Uh, T Wall nineteen ninety nine in the chat says Kavnachi does have a fan bla fan base. Plus heavyweights. That's a good point, bro. Heavyweights definitely bring ratings, but also Kavnachi brings the Polish-American fan base in. I get that. I get that. Uh, so maybe that's why there's a difference there. But I just I see a downward trend on all these cards right now. It's just across the board, and I just wonder if people are just not watching sports like everybody thought they were. Um, let's see. Brad... Brad DW54 in the chat says, all sports are down. Look at the NBA. Yeah, the NBA is in the tank. Uh, the NBA was getting like a few hundred thousand viewers for their games featuring some of their biggest stars, like not even a million viewers for an NBA game. Can you imagine that? The NBA's ratings are worse than all sports right now. But I think that's because the NBA has gone so political. They are shoving politics down people's throats. Meanwhile, they're the biggest hypocrites in sports. They are profiteering, not profiting, but profiteering off of literal modern-day slave labor. Right now in China, there are concentration camps. There's ethnic cleansing. There's literal, not metaphorical, but literal institutional racism going on right now in China. And the NBA, which is a diva league with the highest average paid athletes is bitching at Americans saying, hey, you guys are the problem. Hey, you, Tom Kowalski, you oil changer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, making 35 grand a year. You're the evil person that's responsible for all the problems in the world. Meanwhile, they're profiteering off of slave labor 
And sorry if there is really a Tom Kowalski in Milwaukee. I just made that shit up. Uh, yeah, that wasn't directed at anybody named Tom Kowalski. I have to put that out there for legal reasons. But seriously, you guys get what I'm trying to say, okay? I'm saying it in a crazy way. But the NBA players and their entire league, Dave, uh, not Dave Stern, who the hell is the commissioner now? I don't even know what the hell his name is. They, they are just reaming middle America every day, pounding this political stuff into their, into their face. Meanwhile, they're profiteering off of slave labor. So I, I think that's why the NBA ratings are down. And I don't know if the NBA is going to recover from this. I really, really don't. I think that they're done being a top four league in the United States. Adam Silver, John Uden says in the chat. Yeah, look, man, their ratings have steadily gone down since the Jordan era, which makes sense. Boxing's ratings have steadily gone down since the Mike Tyson era. It makes sense. When you have, like, your biggest star leave, it leaves a massive gap there. I get it. But, man, you can dabble in politics. All the sports leagues gave a shout-out and did their, their quick little thing and then got back to business real quick. The NBA is lecturing. That's the word I've been looking for. I couldn't think of it. They've been lecturing middle America about how they're the problem. Meanwhile, they're millionaires and it's not just the deal that the NBA has with China. That's really saved the NBA from bankruptcy. The NBA would be done without the billions they're raking in from China right now because their ratings are shit. And they have been down in recent years anyway. But it's not just that, dude. It's Nike. The shoes that these guys wear, the, the products that they endorse, they're made in the third world by oppressed people. And they're lecturing you guys. So, look, I could rant about the NBA all day. And I grew up being such an NBA fan. I grew up in Detroit during the era of the bad boys, man. I knew every player's stat. I love the NBA. And then it just got bad. It just got really, really bad. Okay, back to boxing. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about those ratings because I just find it interesting that they're down across the board. I'm starting to get concerned about this shit, guys. I hope these ratings come back up soon. I hope when we get the stars fighting, we talked about Lomachenko Lopez. That's got to do a big rating, man. That's an important fight. And I hope it does a big rating. I hope all these fights. I hope that the PBC fights, you know, some of the good ones that they have on Showtime, I hope those do strong ratings, man. That's important, guys. It's really important. Uh, speaking of PBC on Showtime, there was a card at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut on Saturday. David Benavidez did not train during the COVID, you know, the, uh, the what is it? Uh, I keep forgetting the damn word. We know it's a pandemic, but what is the word? We know there was a lockdown. Quarantine. He did not train during quarantine. Obviously, he came into this fight three-plus pounds overweight, loses his WBC title again. Don't worry. The WBC will hook you up at 175, David. They are all in the David Benavidez business. But uh, he scores a 10-round retirement win over Ro Romer, Alexis, and Gulo. Needs to move to 175 ASAP. In the opener, uh, Otto Valin scores a TKO5 win over Travis Kaufman. I was excited for this fight. I thought it'd be kind of fun. There'd be a lot of flab and flailing, but I thought it'd be fun. But in the end, Kaufman came into this fight injured. He says he injured it during the fight. No, he did. He injured it during the fight. He came into this, this fight hurt. He's going to retire. Good for him. He's carved out a decent career for himself. For Valin, he moves on to bigger things. I think, you know, he's a legitimate top 15, top 20 fringe contender level heavyweight. He's kind of right there around a Carlos Takam, that, that kind of guy. Um, by the way, Carlos Takam and Otto Valin, that'd be a fun fight. But I definitely think he'll be in a title mix again at some point. But uh, 
let's talk about the co-main. Rolando Romero, Floyd Mayweather fighter, goes up against Jackson Marinez, and Romero was a huge favorite. Improves to 12-0, wins one of the WBA bullshit titles. Who gives a damn? This was a terrible score. Just an absolute – this, guys, this was a robbery. We talk about robberies a lot, right? People use that word all the time, especially on boxing Twitter and everything. And it's most of the time these days, it's overused. A close fight that could have went either way, that's not a robbery, okay? This was a robbery. This was not a close fight. This could not have went either way. Romero lost this damn fight. So Glenn Feldman scored at 116-112. Gee, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather and Glenn Feldman. Where have I heard those two, two names together before? I feel like these two guys have broke bread together about a dozen or so times. Frank Lombardi had at 118-110. Uh, and Don Trella, we've heard that name a lot, 115-113. These are experienced judges, okay? These guys have been around. They know what's up. Why were these Vegas judges, A couple, I think one of these guys, or no, actually none. These guys judge fights in Vegas all the time, I mean. They're there in Connecticut scoring this fight. They're experienced, and... They robbed this kid. Just disgusting. Just absolutely disgusting. And very few of the media are talking about this very honestly. They're saying, oh, well, you know, another bad scorecard. Uh, LOL. And they're just tweeting stuff like that. I got to wonder if Floyd Mayweather wasn't involved here and it was a different promoter or a different fighter attached to a different promoter, if they'd be s stepping in a little further and criticizing the scorecard more. But a lot of people are afraid to criticize Floyd and really, really criticize him hard. Floyd didn't score the fight, but it was his fighter that benefited from a robbery with judges that he worked with for years and paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to in his fights, in his mega fights. Uh, these guys have ate very well off of Mr. Mayweather, and they're paying him back big time because there is no way in hell Romando, Orlando Romero won that damn fight. Will there be a rematch? I don't know. I do think if there is a rematch, it will probably have to be forced by the WBA. They give out 5 billion titles. The least they could do for boxing fans is demand a rematch here. But I'll tell you what. I actually think Romero will learn a little bit from this and look better in the rematch. I got to say, though, I'm not impressed with him. He uh, just fundamentally is all over the place all over the place fundamentally. I think he thinks, he, he tries to do too much. He needs to calm the hell down and get back to basics. Jab, 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 uh, push, jab, jab, shift, jab, jab, spin, jab, jab, right, faint, jab, right. Just basic shit. He's trying to do way too much, way too much. Uh, back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I should mention a couple other prospects. Israel Madrimov improved to 6-0, with the UD-12 win over Eric Walker, who I told you guys, durable fighter last week. I told you, durable fighter, never been stopped. Uh, I, but but I also told you Majumov was going to stop him. Boy, was I wrong. This went the distance. Majumov didn't look great. But it is funny how people are pounding on this guy on Twitter and saying he's a joke, right? Overrated, blah, blah, blah. Guys, it's one fight. It's his sixth pro fight. And... He had to go to distance at some point. 
This is the type of fight that I think will make him better. He's just a prospect. Still a blue chipper in my book. Remember when Teofimo Lopez struggled and went the distance with Masayoshi Nakatani? Remember that? And a lot of you guys then, when Lopez struggled with Nakatani, you said, oh, I don't know, man. He needs to stay away from Loma. I don't think he's that good. I think he's overrated. He's a knockout waiting to happen. And then the very next fight, he goes out there against Richard Comey, blasts him out, and you guys are all like, oh, shit, he's going to beat Loma. He's going to knock Loma out. There's a bunch of you guys saying that right now, right? Guys, stop judging a fighter based on their last fight. Judge them on the totality of their work and understand these are human beings that have off nights, and sometimes you're just in there trying to work on some shit. What I saw with Majumov is he was thinking too much. He was trying to work. I don't know what he was trying to work on, but it's clear to me that him and his trainer, Joel Diaz, were trying to work on some things and trying to use this as an opportunity to flush some stuff out and work on a few, I don't know what it was, technical stuff. And if the knockout comes late, cool. But he looked confused at times. So go ahead and work on some things, dude, but stick to what you do. Stick to what you do because what you do is going to win titles. Also, Shakram uh, Giasov, 140 prospect wins, looked pretty good. And Nikita Abibi, 160 prospect won. He looked really good. I got to say, uh, a few of you guys have asked about him in the chat. Um, and I've said, you know, I, I don't know if I see much there. He looked better in this fight. I don't want to judge too much based on just one fight. But he did look improved. So I do think uh, Abibi is somebody I'm starting to take an eye on, you know, starting to take a look at now because he has shown some improvement. Uh, let's see. Real quick preview, guys. And then um, we don't have any calls today. Interesting. Well, okay. Let's see. Uh, Thursday, August 20th, UFC Fight Pass card from Detroit, my hometown. That's going to uh, feature Vladimir Shishkin, a 10-0 super middleweight out of Russia, now based in Detroit. And Friday, August 21st, <sighs> Sergio Martinez is scheduled to fight in Spain. His first fight since 2014. I don't love this. I really don't love this, but whatever. He's a grown-ass man. Do your thing, homie. And a Telemundo card from Florida also on Friday as well. Uh, Timmy Turner in the chat says, what do you think of Zelfa Barrett? I thought Zelfa looked pretty good the other day. Uh, Zelfa, I think, has one loss. Is it just one loss or is it two? I can't remember for sure, but he looked improved from that loss. So, um, you know, someone to keep an eye on. Someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Saturday, August 22nd. We've got Well, before I get to that, we have a super chat pledge from my man, John Uden. What's up, John? So glad you're here, man. And, uh, thank you for the super chat. He says, Benavidez and Plant seem to be moving towards a unification battle at 168, and Benavidez gets stripped. Super middle has talent, but is stagnant. You're so freaking right, brother. And um, I, look, I don't know if Benavidez and Plant were going to fight anytime soon. I, I hope they would have. But it was going to be pay-per-view. The plan was if they fought, it was going to be on pay-per-view, unfortunately. That's the kind of fight that should be if they did fight on Fox. Like, you should put that on Fox and promote those two guys. That could have did a rating for real. But, yeah, Benavidez, man, I, you know what? Unfortunately, I think he's going to try to stay at 168. Would not surprise me if he tries to stay at 168 and the WBA throws him one of their 8,000 titles that they have in every division somehow they work him into one of those or something i would much rather see him move up to 75 plant his flag there and let's see caleb plant fight one of the other guys at 168 let's see uh you know him build his legacy there 
while Benavidez builds his legacy at 75. And then a couple years from now, let's see Plant move up. Let's say if Plant becomes the guy at 68, you know, cleans it out, and, and Benavidez cleans it out at 75 and he becomes the guy there, well, then those two can fight later down the road. But it, it, I do feel like an opportunity has been missed because those two should be fighting now. The fight that we just saw Benavidez have, it shouldn't have took place. It didn't need to happen. Those two should have fought this year. It should have been a regular Fox. Unfortunately, dude, that's what happens when, when you marinate things sometimes. Uh, it just blows up in your face. Not all the time, but some of the time. Okay, this Saturday, guys, August 22nd, Matchroom Fight Camp is back from Brentwood, UK, on the zone. Dillian White, 27-1, going up against Alexander Povetkin, 35-2-1 for the interim WBC belt that White won a while back. And the WBC, for whatever damn reason, <clears throat> just decided to throw in the vacant diamond belt. Who the hell knew that the diamond belt could even be vacant? I didn't know that. But, guys, I, I think I'm just going to stop mentioning these titles. I, do you guys really care? Let me know in the chat. Honestly, let me know. Do you want me to mention if it's for a title or not? Do you really give a damn? These titles are just so stupid now. I mean, I can I can mention it if it's for a legitimate title, like a real – but all this interim, vacant this, diamond that, do you guys really give a shit? I'll stop mentioning it. Anyway, uh, nine-year age difference between these two. So I looked at their records. Since, uh, since Dillian White, who's only lost once, since he lost to Anthony Joshua in 2015, I still think he's went on one of the better runs in the sport, at least in the heavyweight division. He beat Derek Chisora, uh, Hellenius, Parker, Rivas. Pretty good record. He's beaten some good quality top 10 heavyweights. His weight has shifted from 245 to 271 during that span. That's not good. If he could keep his damn weight down and be disciplined, I think he's one of the top heavyweights in the world. I really do. When he's a fat ass, and he, he just looks like a lethargic part-time fighter with a big left hook. That's the difference. Those are the two different Dillian Whites we get. Which one are we going to get this Saturday? We'll find out. Now, Povetkin, since his first loss to Vladimir Klitschko in 2013, he's beat some decent fighters. But his best win is probably over Carlos Takam back in 2014, and I don't think he was a clean fighter at that time. So, both, by the way, both of these guys have a history with performance-enhancing drugs. I get it. Or I'll just say banned substances. How about that? They have a history there with VADA and, and all the testing authorities. But we're going to leave that out, right? I'm not trying to be a hypocrite, okay? I recognize they have a history. But, and I don't think there's advanced VADA testing for this fight. Not that, if, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll correct myself next week. I'll, I'll check on Twitter. But just in terms of the matchup, this is a damn good heavyweight matchup. In terms of where these guys are at, if this fight was made five, six years ago, I would have picked Povetkin to flatten White. He would have mopped the floor with him. But now, now, uh, Povetkin's been softened up. He has been dropped. He has been stopped in recent years. This is going to be damn good. Damn good fight. Also, Katie Taylor versus Delphine Persoon 2, the rematch. Their first bout was last June. A lot of people thought that Persoon won that fight. You guys heard me talk to Jessica McCaskill and Rick Ramos earlier. They felt that pursuit one, but uh, Taylor got the decision and now they're going to rematch for the undisputed lightweight championship. Taylor last fought in November, moved up to 140, fought for a title there. She's moving back down to 135. Is that going to hurt her? Sometimes you see fighters go up in weight, come down. 
that affects them negatively? We'll find out. Uh, Pursoon fought a week after Taylor's last fight, last November, and she fought at 130. So after fighting uh, Taylor at 135, she moved down to 130. What's interesting is Pursoon is taller and longer, but she gets down to the lower weights. Uh, she's just a little skinnier. But Taylor's a little stockier, uh, stronger legs, I think, and a stronger inside fighter. You know, it's interesting when you look at Jessica McCaskill when she fought Katie Taylor versus when she fought Cecilia Breakhouse. That's where you see, guys, the, where the, the, the term styles make fights, where that comes from. Because Taylor has that dog in her and was able to dig down and get nasty on the inside when Jessica charged at her and win those rounds. For, for uh, Breckhus, it took her a long time to make the adjustments she needed to make because she's not – we found out she has some weaknesses as an inside fighter Saturday night. Styles do indeed make fights. Okay, top rank from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas on ESPN+. Plus. This is not on the network. This is on the app on the Plus. Uh, Eladir Alvarez versus Joe Smith Jr. That's a damn good fight. I am a fan of those two fighters. They are willing to take risk and fight people. Uh, Alvarez, I felt bad for because he was shamefully ducked for years. For, it felt like it was a decade by Donna Stevenson and the WBC allowed it. For whatever reason, they just allowed that to happen. But he finally, in recent years, has gotten a fair shake. And I'm excited to see this fight against Joe Smith Jr. That's going to be a damn good one. Uh, also, Rob Brandt coming back from that uh, TKO loss to Murata. I think it was a second round TKO loss last July. And Clay Collard returns. I think this is going to be like his fifth fight of the year, dude. This guy's going to fight six, seven times this year. That's amazing. And PBC on Fox from Los Angeles, Sean Porter fighting Sebastian Formela, 12 rounds. A WBC and IBF welterweight eliminator. I find this very interesting. So the winner will be in line to face the winner of Spence and Garcia, who, for, who are going to fight for which two belts? The WBC and the IBF. So the WBC and the IBF hooking up the winner of Spence, or I'm sorry, yeah, Spence Garcia, because they're just going to, two belts, but one mandatory. As far as I understand it, two belts, one mandatory will be Sean Porter, because Sean Porter is going to beat the hell out of Sebastian Formella. So that's that. Uh, that's what you got this weekend. I like I like the, the two fights there on that matchroom card in Brentwood, and I like the main event of that top-ranked card on ESPN. I think you guys got two very good ones there. The rest of the fights are okay. But those three fights right there, good stuff, man. Good weekend of boxing. All right, guys. Um, I don't see any calls this week. So um, it's all good. We will get the uh, outro music playing here. So we're going to wrap this one up. All right. And we'll be back next Monday. And, um, yeah, we'll do it again. We'll talk about these fights. I'm excited for these fights this weekend, this heavyweight fight in particular. But uh, I think it'll be fun to chop that up next week and talk about what we saw over at Fight Camp in Brentwood. All right, guys, as usual, I remind you, please share the show. Get it out there, all right? Uh, that's the best thing you guys can do to help me out. Hit the thumbs up button, follow, like, share, subscribe, click the notification bell. All of that helps me out, all right? Someone asked, is, is my outro to Brandy? No, my brother made this piece. It's not to Brandy. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fight. <laughs>